Good afternoon. Welcome in once again. Jimmy B and TC on the air with you here on a Friday and a football Friday. That's right. We got a lot of football to talk about today. Last night, we got to see for the first time real live football. Now, was it a thing of beauty? No. Was it entertaining? Not really. But it was football. It was back. We got to see guys out there. We got to see the pads popping. We got to see real live football, how good it was. Now, yesterday, I handed you what I believed was going to be a sure winner. I, as you all know, like to dabble, like to partake in gambling. Soon enough, we will be able to wager legally in the state of Iowa. You'll be able to do that. Won't have to be making treks out to Vegas. Won't have to be eh, calling up uh, the guy around the corner or making something online Offshore, no, no, no. You'll be able to do it. Prairie Meadows, Meskwaki, Wild Rose. You'll be able to have an opportunity to go down there, lay a bet, be good to go. But I told you yesterday, I was feeling good about the over. Feeling good about the over in the game. It was 33. In fact, at game time, it went off at 35. So hopefully, if you did listen, you listened early because you got to push out of the deal. But I have never been more excited about a two-point conversion attempt than I was with about three minutes left in the game. After the Tanner Gentry 10-yard touchdown pass from Tyler Bray, Bray with another attempt on the two-point conversion. Couldn't get it done. No, alas, we get a push, we walk away, and we will get ready for more betting going forward. Football season, uh, it felt good to be back at it. Big takeaways from the NFL last night. Can you really? I know Mitchell Trubisky. Really nobody a consequence from a Bears perspective. You got to see Lamar Jackson. He struggled, had a touchdown, also had an interception. He was sacked three times in the game, and overall, all the Bears showed some kind of pass rush. I did mention that was one of the things that I do what did want to see. I want to see how good that pass rush was. That might be the problem. In fact, Chris Collins was talking about that a little bit during the game. If there is an Achilles heel for the Vic Fangio defense that he's building there, do they have guys that can get off the edge and get to the quarterback? That is, uh, that's what I was watching. So good to see. Again, so many of these guys are not going to be part of the 53-man roster. They're not going to be a part of the 45 guys that dress for games. That, that's not going to be the case. But it was football, and it's good to have it back. With that, busy show lined up for you today. A lot of Hawkeye and Cyclone conversation with you. In fact, coming up here in just a few minutes, Alex Halstead is going to join us. He's got a busy day going on in Ames. Two separate practice sessions that he's going to be able to watch. Saw the, early, the the older guys earlier today. He'll get to see the young guys coming up here a little bit later on this afternoon. Also, Matt Campbell, some conversations with him. So we'll talk with Alex. We'll get into a lot of things. Obviously, the question, Matt Campbell, Ohio State, Urban Meyer, all, all that stuff that's out there. And just the sustainability. Matt Campbell said all the right things. And and when overtures were made a year ago, we heard Tennessee. That was talked about. We also heard that the buyout language might be a problem and the buyout money that was connected to it. Ohio State's different. For an Ohio kid. And this perspective, though different, I think is very similar. I'm an Iowan. I've lived here my whole life. I've never departed the state borders. And that, frankly... I don't ever want to living. If an opportunity came along to further my career, yeah, okay, that'd be one thing. Like 
Well, moving from the Mid-American Conference to the Big 12. That's what Matt Campbell did. Left Ohio, left place that he'd been for the first 34 years of his life, and he spread his wings. If I got a call and I'll bump up, I, I certainly would listen. But when home calls and that program, that name, that blue blood, it's a different conversation. It's going to be speculated about regardless of how everything goes down with Ohio State going forward. And we might be talking five years down the line. We might be talking 10 years down the line. Who knows exactly how long it could be. But that will always be sitting there. If Matt Campbell continues to ascend this program forward and he takes what they did a year ago with the wins against Oklahoma and TCU, you take that a step further. And now you're in the Big 12 championship game. You're competing for a championship. You're even, yeah, I'll say it, you're competing for a Big 12 championship. You may talk about college football play. If you get Iowa State to those levels, the best season of recent history over the last 25 years plus was a 9-3 and year. 8-3 and in the regular season, a bull win over Pitt in the Insight Bowl. That's the top level. And if you ascend past that, there's going to be plenty of overtures. If it's not Ohio State, Notre Dame, Penn State, Michigan State, you think of places where he is from, Midwest, and, and even a step further, you're doing that at Iowa State, there's going to be plenty of opportunities. That's a good thing, though. Embrace it. What would you rather have? A guy that has never had opportunities like that? A guy that's just piddling wrong, along doing his thing and doesn't have everybody after him? When you hire a young coach, this is this is something that can happen. And if you hire a guy that's successful, these are the things that happen. Realistically, there's only one place that you don't have to worry about it, and that's Alabama right now. But that can change. Everything can evolve and change. It's different. Embrace it. Enjoy it. You got Matt Campbell now. Hopefully for the foreseeable future for Cyclone fans, that will be the case also. Looking forward to the conversation with Alex Halstead. We'll also sprinkle in a little bit of basketball talk with him coming up here in just a little bit. Also, coming up today, we're going to have our Friday conversation with Dr. Stephen Fuller from Fuller Family Dentistry, as we do each and every Friday. The Hawkeye Swarm conversation, Doc Fuller, Goes back in Hawkeye history. I do the same with him each and every week. Always a lot of fun. We'll take a look back at uh, some of the conversations that we had as we get closer and closer to football season. And, oh boy, getting real football to talk about. It is a great, great thing. Before we get the break, a uh, little baseball here from last night. The Cubs take one on the chin to San Diego. That one, uh, ooh, Padres came in limping. Seven-game losing streak coming in. Some uh, some dude named Erlin. I'll be honest. I had never heard of Robbie Erlin. Now, I consider myself a pretty big baseball fan. Not huge. I know there's bigger out there. This guy's getting a spot start, and he's perfect through four. I never heard of Robbie Erlin. I, I thought the guy was made up. You look at the pitching matchups, oh, this is no problem, right? Cubs got this. Padres are playing terrible. Montgomery will do his thing. He did. But Chavez gives one up. And just like that, Cubs take another loss. And 
throughout this baseball season, when we've talked about the Cubs, it's always felt inevitable that they were going to be fine. Too much talent, too good. They're going to overcome any speed bumps that they hit along the line. And if I had to make a bet, then that's, you put your money where your mouth is, right? If I had to, I'd still bet on them to win the division. But I feel a lot more concerned today, on August 3rd, than I did for the previous four months. April, May, June, July. I feel more concerned about this team than I did at any time. And it's it's really nothing different with them. It's what's happening around them. We know that Milwaukee has led this division for a long time and the Brew Crew. A nice story last year, had the nice start to the year, fizzled as it went on. Milwaukee's got a team. And though that starting rotation isn't going to wow you, you look at a lot of different metrics out there, they're at least league average. Junior Guerrero, okay, he's fine. Chase Anderson, starting to pitch much better. The guy that won 17 games a year ago looks to be ascending back that here over the last month or so. It's not a wow rotation. There isn't that top-flight guy. There isn't the name that you know, but they can rake. And, and all it's going to take here, even the division aside, you have the safety net of the wild card. Now, you're always feeling good about that because you have the wild card in case something would go wrong. But if the Cubs do hit a bad skid, if the Cubs over a couple of weeks go 2-10, and 10, there are so many teams right back behind him. I'm just a lot more concerned. I'm concerned with Milwaukee. I'm concerned with Colorado. The Cardinals, have they put it together? Well, they've won a couple series in a row. Pittsburgh goes out. They bring in Chris Archer. They've been red hot as of late. It just, you go through and there's much, there's a lot more teams to be concerned with. Look, I don't think the Cubs are missing the playoffs. I mean, I'm not hitting the panic button. I'm just saying the concerns are bigger than they, what they were well, just a couple weeks ago, at least for me. That's how I see it today. Other baseball from last night. Well, speaking of those Brewers, it was ugly last night against the Dodgers as they get walloped. Other than that, how about that uh, Red Sox-Yankees? I mentioned yesterday, oh, it was so good. I had forgot this was a four-game series. I forgot there was going to be a game last night. Flip it on. Early start. 3 nothing Yankees. All right, here we go. 15-7. to A slow-pitch softball written all over it. Homer's all over the place. You got Steve Pierce hitting three bombs. And what was the game time? What did the game time end up being? Three hours, 25 minutes. You know what? For a 15-7 to game, that's really not that bad. Three hours, 25 minutes. Yankees, Red Sox. Baseball needs that. Baseball needs that series. Baseball needs maybe that ALCS. I know Houston's great. Whoever the other wildcard team is going to be, be it Oakland, be it Seattle. And Cleveland, yeah, they haven't won a World Series in a long time. We know their history. But baseball, I think it's pretty simple. It's been a while since we've seen it in the playoffs. We need to see it again. Give me Yankees, Red Sox. Sacrilegious, perhaps. That's what I want to see come October 
in the American League. We get the timeout here. We're talking Cyclones next. Alex Halstead is going to join us 24-7 sports with you until 6 o'clock tonight. Jimmy B and TC on 1700 KBGG. It's presented by New Leaf Wellness. Looking to get in shape? New Leaf Wellness can help you with that. Hit a plateau in your workout. New Leaf Wellness can help you with that. Have headaches. New Leaf Wellness right there as well. 650-1358 is the phone number. That's 650-1358. Give them a call. Tell them what you're looking to work on, how you're looking to better yourself, and they have a wonderful staff, great people. Dr. Seaman, outstanding. New Leaf Wellness is on Westtown Parkway in West Des Moines. Tell them Trent Condon sent you as we get the break here. Talking Cyclones next with Alex Alstead. All right, welcome back once again. Jimmy B and TC continues on and time to talk some Iowa State Cyclones when we do. We go to one place, our man Alex Halstead from 24-7 Sports at CycloneAlert.com as he joins us. And uh, a busy day for you, Alex. Availability earlier today. You got some availability coming up in, in just a little bit. Get to go through some practice, watch some practice, and, and that's always a good thing when you get that availability in Ames. Yeah, all this buildup for us talking throughout this, this summer, the last couple months about the questions the team faced, the recruits they've added, and all those different things, and Finally, now we're at least getting into real football. Iowa State open fall camp practice uh, this morning, and we'll have another one, um, you know, here this evening. So they, that, that's how they kind of do things. The first couple days is they'll split the practices between two groups, one older and one younger. Although it's not exactly like just a freshman practice, um, you'll get kind of just a mix of mix of guys, and then they'll really get into things and. Two weeks here, and then um, classes start, and then the season will be here before we know it. It goes quick, and uh, we will have football here, well, less than a month now before we'll see the actual guys on the field, pads popping, and South Dakota State will be making their way into Jack Trice for that first game of the year. Well, you had some availability also earlier this week with uh, both Jamie Pollard, the athletic director, and Matt Campbell, the head coach. Let's start uh, with your conversation with Jamie Pollard and the new naming rights. Well, you're going to get a few more words in the column if every time you put Jack Trice Stadium, you put before it Mid-American Energy Field at Jack Trice Stadium, your fingers are going to get a workout now. Yeah, I might just stick with Jack Trice Stadium on, <laughs> on that, but it is good for Iowa State just from the standpoint of they'll put that logo a few different places. They'll call it that you know, when they put out their own stuff, Mid-American Energy Field at Jack Trice Stadium. And for the next 10 years, they'll get uh, $1.5 million a year. So it adds up to $15 million over the next decade. And that $15 million is, is in part going to go to the new sports performance center. That was kind of the whole thing behind it. Now, we don't know a whole lot new about the sports performance center from our availability earlier this week with Jamie Pollard. Um, he did say that they expect to begin construction um, in spring 2019. So this next spring, they're going to probably – construction, but it still has to go through the Board of Regents, the final approval, and they're actually still working with architects to finish that out and then cost it out. So, you know, their estimates have been 60 to $80 million. Um, it's going to include a lot of different things from a, a academic center to a, a nutrition area to a new locker room, and it's not just going to be football. It's going to obviously go to all these different sports when you talk about academics and nutrition. So it is a big project. It could take up to two years. We still don't know a lot more, but we do know that they're at least over the next decade, going to get $15 million, um, which might only be about a fourth of the cost from American Energy. You know, we uh, we heard about this plan, what, a couple months ago. I, I guess the, the blueprints were out there, so we knew this was something that was going to be coming. We were speculating before Wednesday what it could be, and 
Well, I was hopeful for you and the couple times I make it up to Jack Trice that it was going to be a new press box. Any talk about getting that uh, new thing up there for you guys each and every week? Not quite yet, but it has been mentioned before. I, you know, obviously the, the biggest talk several years back, and I think I should say way back or to the early 2000s, was always the south end zone. When are they going to do the south end zone? They did that, and then I think the next talk was, you know, press box or, you know, more football facilities. And before they do a press box, it's going to be this north end zone. And I shouldn't say enclosure, but it's, they say there's going to be a new entrance mm-hmm. as part of it, although I don't suspect that is. That so far, the plans I've read are not pulling it in, but just a new entrance. But Paul Roach, towards the end of his tenure, said that was a discussion that he he wanted to, or he maybe had had, something he had mentioned was the press box at some point. And I think once you do a new north end zone entrance, you already have a south end zone, you're really going to have to do the press box at least some some point down the road to really cap off, because I think it's just going to stand out and look different. I mean, it already kind of is starting to. Yeah. And it might help the, the the journalists up there a little bit, but what you're seeing for the most part, like places like K-State, when you go there, their new press boxes span the entire, you know, 100-yard field, and it's part press box, but it's big-time suites, and that's where they're going to probably do it for is the suites and, and the revenue that would bring in. Yeah, that's where the money is anymore, and it doesn't matter if you're talking about an, an arena or if you're talking about a stadium. It's about those suites and, and getting the, the rich people in there and getting them to spend the money that goes along with it. And I see, certainly think that'll be a part at some point. If you can, has you have you ever seen, you talked about you know the north entrance and, and what they would do, completely eliminating, you would assume, the grass seats that, that are over there. Kind of how it would look because in terms of capacity, sure, you, you'd like to get a little bit more there, but... You don't want a situation where, you know, all of a sudden you, you have a capacity of 75,000 if you get that whole part bowled in, too. And it's difficult to fill that in. Any idea kind of how that would look or at least speculate in your own mind how it would be? Yeah, that's the thing that I, that I was kind of thinking we were going to see this week. You know, when they announced this special announcement, my first thought was obviously facility-related, which was a right guess, but it, it wasn't right in the sense that, they were they had anything to show us. I thought it was going to be to the point where they had renderings and more updates on a timeline and, and that sort of thing. And instead, it was part of how they're going to fund it. And so, um, so it's, there's still a lot of unknowns. The one thing that's come out is really not even really renderings. It's more of like a a map, you know, okay. of of where these things are going to lay out on the parking lot. And so we know that you know the, the Jacobson building that's there. So you know whether you're at the game or watching on TV, that building that's there in the north end zone. It's still going to be there, except for the part behind it's called the Olsen Building, and that's going to be demolished, and it's going to you know, be a new entrance into the stadium and that sort of thing. So from everything I can gather so far, those two hillsides will be there, although I think they're going to have to redo how, how they stand um, and maybe how big they are. But for now, at least, it seems like those hillsides might remain in the north end zone. And so I don't know if the capacity is going to change much as much as you know, maybe, maybe the, the entrance when you're coming into the stadium, and then that parking lot, you know, if, if for anybody who's ever been to, you know, tailgating or abstract free stadium, which is probably a lot of the listeners, that parking lot outside the Bergstrom complex that has, you know, the the big mural on it, that's going to actually be a facility. So that parking lot will disappear. So a lot of that open area that's a parking lot will instead become these facilities. So while we're talking facilities, Hilton, a great building for basketball. We know that how loud that place gets, how it's built. It just, it's a wonderful venue for basketball. But it is getting older. 
anything that you can see renovation-wise, things that are going to be happening? I know there, there's some other things, uh, some smaller things, but is there anything big that you think Hilton is going to get, say, over the next five to ten years? Well, the, the most recent big thing, I guess, has been Johnny's on the, the mm-hmm. East Concourse, which um, you know is more so for donors, but it, it has added kind of a different look. I think at one point they explored not the suites because it's, it's hard the way Hilton is constructed. I don't think there's much you could add in the way of, like, suites. But I think they've looked at ways to do things on the concourse in the past um, to add more, more, I don't know if it's seats as much as it is, like these luxury-type boxes, but I don't know if that's even possible because there's just not a lot of space. And so, you know, it seems like a lot of the enhancements now are, you know, things like a video board and things like that that you mm-hmm. can continue to do. I think, um, I don't know for sure, Honestly, the last time I was at Carver Hawker, they have a big new video board. So it's things like that that you can do for Hilton now because it's kind of reached the point where unless they went and did another Johnny's-type restaurant on the other side of the building, they're kind of running out of room to do some of those big-time luxury-type upgrades. Very interesting. And uh, always moving forward, that TV money certainly goes a very long way in making uh, all these renovations possible in Iowa State and the Big 12 in good shape there. Also on Wednesday, Matt Campbell was talking uh, a couple of position groups that he talked about. Want to start at the middle linebacker spot, and we would talked a lot going back to the spring about Orion Vance, his ascension up, and taking over the spot of Joel Lanning, but Northrop uh, got a little bit of at least call there from Coach Campbell. We've seen him play a little bit. Were you surprised, though, that at least from what the way that I read it, those guys are running neck and neck? Yeah, I'm surprised that some of these races are uh, a little closer than maybe they seemed to us when we were in Dallas back in July. Because when that depth start came out, one of the things was there was no either ors at the middle linebacker spot, and there were no either ors at any of the three starting safety spots. And those were two of the biggest positional battles back in the spring. And so you never read too much into a depth chart that it's completely, you know, what it shows especially in the summer, because one, I think some coaches use it for motivation, you know, to hey, either we, we like what you're doing, keep it up because they put a guy high, or sometimes maybe a guy's lower than you would expect, and it's just kind of motivation to like, hey, you need to be more consistent. And two, you know, battles are always continuing on, especially when you get a summer depth chart. But, you know, Regan Northrup, I wouldn't say he came out of nowhere because we heard a lot about him in the spring, about how much better he is and how not to forget about him because, mm-hmm. like you mentioned there, he has played, has played before. Uh, he's started games before. He's actually played 36 games in his career, started seven games. But when you look at last year, he was so banged up. I think, according to Pro Football Focus, played fewer than 50 snaps at linebacker. But he supposedly made big gains, and um, that was one notable thing, is that him and Orion Vance are running neck-and-neck neck for that middle linebacker job. And it's going to be interesting to see who wins it. I, don't, I think even if Northrop doesn't win it, he's the clear number four linebacker. And we're going to see him a lot more this year than we did last year. Talking right now with Alex Halstead, CycloneAlert.com, as we take a look around Iowa State. Another position battle happening is the kicker spot. You got Francis, who's there. We don't got a strong leg. And then Naverson, the freshmen that are coming in. How is this going to play out? It's uh, This one seems a, a little bit interesting, where you could go. The guy with the experience are just handing off the reins to a freshman, and you got to figure if Iowa State's going to be successful, and if they're going to build on what they were a year ago, they're going to have to win some tight games. You go with the veteran, you go with the freshman. I think they're going to go with both, and 
So the way I, I see it playing out, and maybe this will change, but the way I think it's going to play out right now is Chris Francis is going to be their um, guy that handles kickoffs. He was a guy that handled kickoffs last year, even while Garrett Owens did PATs and field goals. Matt Campbell this week called Chris Francis, he thought was arguably the best kickoff guy in the Big 12. Um, Touchback-wise, they were, I mean, I think more than 50% of his kickoffs were touchbacks. I mean, he's got a strong way, he can kick it through the end zone. He does that well. Brandon Arson comes in, and yes, he's a true freshman, and that play is somewhat worrisome, especially because you, you just see these college kickers in general tend to not be as consistent, obviously, as the NFL. And so there's always the concerns there. But I think he's going to probably be the guy that gets at least a shot to be their field goal and um, PAT guy. And I think he's only missed one PAT in high school um, the last couple of years. And so he's been good with PATs. Um, he does have some range. He's hit a 50-plus yarder in high school. Obviously, this is a different level. Um, but right now, I would guess that they, that they go the 1-2 route where Francis handles kickoffs and Narvison handles the place-kicking duties. But I think Narvison still has to prove himself here in camp and in a – in a more competitive setting. The good thing, though, for them is he was there in spring ball as a true freshman, and so they've already got to see him and work with him you know, for several months before they get here down to fall camp. It's a lot of different groups trying to figure out how it's going to shake out. A position that I'm always uh, interested in, and Alex, we've been talking basically weekly now for over three years. You know my love of the offensive line, finding the right pieces together. The good news for Iowa State is there's certainly depth better, I thought, a year ago at times than they were the year previous, especially at the beginning of year number one of Matt Campbell, but still not great. You know, you look at some numbers from Pro Football Focus. It wasn't a top-level offensive line a year ago. These guys are back. If you had to take a stab at it, how do they trot out? Left to right, give me your starters against South Dakota State. Yeah, this this is a tough one, and the the one thing is they returned 51 starts from last year, which... It's still not a, a huge amount, but it's better. All these guys, they could start five, under, not underclassmen, but five non-seniors this year. Next year, going to 2019, I think will be the best offensive line of Matt Campbell's tenure, and it could return 100-plus starts. So they got to keep adding that experience. They're getting there, but they're not there, like you said, yet. From left to right, today, I would probably go left tackle, uh, Sean Foster, left guard, Julian Goodjones, center, Colin Newell, right guard, Josh Kniffel, and um, right tackle then would be uh, Bryce Meeker, and that's four Iowans on that, that yeah. line, too. The, the biggest question, I think the thing that's going to decide this line is Colin Newell, because the depth chart shows Colin Newell or Julian Good-Jones at center. We heard a ton about Colin Newell in the spring. He was actually the number one center in the spring. I think Matt Campbell, and we've seen this before, he, he will move guys around. You know, Julian Good-Jones has played tackle center and can play guard. Um, Bryce Meeker can play guard and in tackle. So if Colin Wu is one of the best five linemen, he will be the center. And then you've got to put Julian Goodstone somewhere else, whether that's tackle or guard. And so I think Colin Wu, I think, can really determine a lot because if he proves himself to be one of the best five linemen they have, then you move Julian Goodstone somewhere. And so I think that's kind of the part. If he's not one of the top five linemen, then Julian Goodstone is your center, and then you have a battle for left guard. So there are a lot of questions, but Matt Campbell did say, that there's a lot more names that are worth mentioning than ever before. And he does think that this is the deepest two deep and the first time they've had an actual two deep um, in his first three seasons. Over on the defensive side of the ball, safety position hit hard by graduation a year ago. Greg Iceworth, uh, the incoming Juco who's been around now for a while, he feels like he's going to be the guy. Certainly a figure over at the strong safety spot. 
Demonte Ruth, uh, a guy that we've seen at cornerback, we've seen him kind of moving around a little bit. He's listed as a starter at Star and then Lawrence White. Any other names to keep an eye on at the safety positions? Yeah, the one name I would probably keep an eye on outside of those those three guys, which are all listed as starters right now, would be Keontae Jones, a redshirt freshman that we saw play early last year before getting banged up. They end up getting his redshirt um, for medical purposes. But he played a little bit at corner last year, was originally brought in as a safety, and now he's the backup star. And I asked Matt Campbell back in Dallas, you know, I said, hey, you know, you today when this depth chart came out, you listed DeMonte Ruth, Greg Eisworth, Forrest White as the starters, no either ors. Is there anything to read into that? I, you know, and he said that through spring ball, those two at least separated themselves a little bit because they were the more consistent. But he said Keontae Jones has a chance to go from spring to summer to now fall camp and show that he's consistent enough because he said his quote was that, you know, he thinks Keontae Jones can be a high-end football player. And the way he talked about Keontae made it sound like he still thinks he could, he could win that job. And you know, when you look at DeMonte Ruth, he's a guy that emerged last year, played almost 300 snaps for them at, at cornerback. But that's the key word there is cornerback. He can play corner or safety. And so if Keontae does really assert himself in fall camp, I think he could still win that star job and have you know Ruth play corner or even be a rover between the two. And even if Ruth wins that job, the fact that he can go back and forth, I think uh, Keontae Jones will get good reps this year. And so he would be the fourth name I would probably keep an eye on, along with Braxton Lewis, who started in that bowl game because of those suspensions. Very interesting. Alex Halstead joining us here. Alex, uh, we're talking football, and you have been working hard over at CycloneAlert.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. Uh, the state of the Cyclones going through each position group. You're churning out the content, and I know people that are looking to get involved with football season upon us. You guys over there at 24-7 and Cyclone Alert, got a little deal going on right now. Yeah, good timing for us to talk today because obviously first the start of fall camp, the only practices we get to watch at fall camp, but because it's the start of fall camp, uh, 24-7 Sports is doing a five-for-one deal right now for Cyclone Alert, so you can get um, five months for the price of one. So you buy one month for less than $10, and you get uh, access through the rest of the year, so through December, um, for I think nine ninety-five for um, for five months. So that obviously takes you through football season. It takes you through the mid-year signing period um, for 2019, through basketball signing period in November, and plus 2020 recruiting starting because Iowa State's got 19 commits right now in 2019. And while they only need a few more players left, um, I, I've started talking to 2020 kids because the recruiting cycle so sped up. Matt Campbell actually said this week he, he feels like recruiting because of the early signing period and because of summer officials is three months ahead. So it's keeping me busier and keeping me more forward-thinking, but um, lots of recruiting content from me, myself and the analyst at 24-7. So that will all be coming in the months ahead, and um, this is probably the best time if you just even want to sample it um, to you know get over there and do that deal. Folks, if you're a recruiting fan, if you're an Iowa State fan, not going to find better value than that. Nine ninety five for the next five months, five for the price of one over at twenty four seven Sports. Before we run here, Alex, uh, want to talk some basketball with you? Always like to to dig in there a little bit. You know my thoughts on this team. I believe that this is a team that's going to challenge certainly for top three, four in the Big Twelve, be an NCAA tournament team. I think that they're going to be really, really good. But a piece of that is obviously Cam Lard coming back and 
building on what we saw a season ago. He's gone through the wellness program. He's going to be back, sounds like, in a couple of weeks. Uh, give us the latest that you heard after your conversation with Coach Prome and Cam Lard. Yeah, so Cam Lard's been away since, I think it's been late May. The Iowa State announced it June 4th that he was going to enter this off-campus wellness program. But when they announced it, he was already there for several days. So really since early June, late May, he's been in this wellness program. Mostly the key word they've used is to focus on habits, um, not just stemming from one incident, but just a combination of things where his life needs to be in better order with habits. And so that's wrapping up. Steve Prohm said he was going to be back at Iowa State a few days before classes started, uh, before classes start. And classes uh, at, at Iowa State will start August 20th. And so you're looking at mid, mid-August, where he'll probably be there between the 15th and the 18th or so back on campus. And Steve Prohm said that there are no hurdles that he has to clear once he's on campus. It's not like he gets to campus and has to meet any different standards. The wellness program was the situation. So once he's back, he's full go with the team and you know, full goal you know, once November rolls around. 2019 going to be a, a pretty good-sized class for Iowa State. Picked up the commitment uh, a week or so ago from Leach. What else is out there with now the July evaluation period in the rearview mirror? Who are some of the 2019 targets that you believe Iowa State has a good chance at? Well, they've been on a number of different point guards, and that's kind of their focus this class. Not even necessarily point guard, but just perimeter. Steve Combs said they could end up signing as many as four. They've actually only got three scholarships, but I think they're going to recruit, assuming that Wendell Wiggington will go pro after this year. So I don't know if they'll sign for in, in November. But I think when all of a sudden done, they'll recruit at least four, and Prohm's already alluded to that. I, I, don't, I guess he hasn't even alluded to it. He's just flat-out said it. So uh, I think they'll probably take at least two more before um, November, though, and point guard's got to be one of them, Kai Kai Tandy. Um, he's from near the Murray, Kentucky area. Um, Iowa State, Cincinnati, Xavier, Tennessee, Kansas State have been some of the main schools on him. Can, can, um, Cincinnati actually just got a commitment from another point guard, so they might be out. Um, I think Iowa State's probably in good shape there if they continue to push. Right now, I think we have him as a top 100 player in the country. And then Luke Anderson's a, a forward that's really emerged um, down in Florida, a guy that can stretch the floor. You know, he's probably a stretch four player. And uh, a guy that James Kane recruited to date. And now that Kane's at Iowa State, they've actually got two coaches with connections to him. And he's mentioned to me that he would maybe visit in September, but hasn't locked in a date. So those two guys, I think they're in pretty good shape with. But there's been a number of point guards that they're starting to make top lists for. And it just seems like this, this recruiting cycle, a lot more still has to play out than this time last year. Um, I know they got in on a lot of those guys last year in the summer, but it just seems like the month of August is going to be pretty telling this year for that class. Going to be exciting. A lot of good stuff going on. And you can find all the information at CycloneAlert.com. Well, we finish with the elephant in the room. And uh, that is the speculation with what's happening at Ohio State and Urban Meyer. Matt Campbell's name has been brought up, and it's not just some goober like me on the radio in Des Moines trying to find a local angle to get us through the month of August. This has been a national perspective. Dan Patrick show yesterday, they were talking about it. We had Bill Bender, national writer from the Sporting News, who lives in Ohio and has lived there basically his whole life. That was the first name he brought up to myself and Ken uh, on the show yesterday. This is uh, this has a lot of steam. I, I know it's a conversation piece. I know a lot of people are talking about it. From your perspective, anything, is it a big reach for Matt Campbell if the job is available, if Ohio State comes calling, that he'd head home? I don't think it's the craziest reach in the world. I think 
when he signed this extension back in the winter, his buyout still seven and a half million dollars. It put together, it put to rest most schools for at least the time being. Obviously, it put to rest, you know, Tennessee and the Floridas and schools like that. Um, but I think people have always known that schools that would make sense for him at least are the Notre Dame, the Ohio States, especially those two. Um, you know, I don't know if Michigan State would make sense or not, but schools in the Midwest that have have some of that, and so. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame's obviously, you know, Brian Kelly, how many years does he have left there? He's been on this leash, of, this leash, although I think he's still probably got a couple of years. That's been one to watch. Urban Meyer, I think before the last few months, nobody thought he was going to be gone anytime soon, but it was a job that, hey, what if Campbell had that job or was a candidate for that job in five years? It's obviously sped up, but so I don't think it's the craziest reach. He, he's got ties to Ohio. That's his recruiting background. Um, I think he was a GA for Urban Meyer. Um, you know, he obviously spent the years at Toledo with the familiarity and all that. So I don't think it's reached from that regard. But I also wonder, is one eight and five season at Iowa State enough to sell to their fans or not? I, I don't know, I guess, for sure that answer. But um, it just seems like this would make more sense down the road. You know, would they go to someone like a Bob Stoops first? Would they go to Mike Grable in the NFL? So it just, to me, I wonder, I think he would for sure be on most people's list. But is he number one or is he number five or six? Mm-hmm. I think is, is going to be what's interesting. And I guess first we have to see if that job even opens up. You know, and it's so funny because our, let, let's say it happens. And Ohio State did like they did the last time they had to fire a coach in Jim Tressel. They went the interim route. Luke Fickle goes six and six. Well, if you're looking at something similar that happens here, it goes down that way. You get to December and you know, the Tom Herbins of the world say no. Bob Stoops decides he doesn't want to get back into coaching, and and with his background, obviously, with some of the transgressions from his players at Oklahoma, that might be a difficult sell with what they're coming off of. But you, you get down there, in a way, Iowa State fans, you would love to go 10-2 and two and play in the Big 12 championship game, but you do that at Iowa State, well, that makes it a lot easier sell to the Ohio State side of things. Kind of an interesting dichotomy this season for Cyclone football fans. Yeah, and I'm sure Campbell will get asked about it. Maybe, maybe even soon. It's just going to be. He's not going to talk about it. You know, all all football coaches are pretty forward thinking in terms of like next game, next game, which gets kind of cliche. But Campbell, especially, like, is pretty focused on the moment, and he's just not going to be interested in it. Obviously, and I think fans are they're mostly worried. I don't think from the perspective of will he leave or won't he leave quite yet. I think it's more of like. They don't want this to impact this current year's team. They don't want players to, you know, I don't know if it will affect those players, but I think they worry about that. And I think they also worry about recruiting. Like, are recruits going to start thinking things? You know, so I don't know if it's gotten to the stage of will he leave or won't he leave, although I'm sure it's on some fans' minds as much as it is, does it impact, impact the program as it stands now? Because, like you said, if something does even happen with Urban Meyer, they they're not going to hire somebody in probably in August, so it's going to happen in December. So well, let's say a, a whole season ahead. Let let's say that would happen though. I I, I agree. I I think this is complete pie in the sky. But Urban Meyer gets fired tomorrow, and Matt Campbell is hired the next day. Who would take over? The because he couldn't take his staff with him. I mean, there's already guys in place at Ohio State. That'd be something that'd be happening in December. Who becomes the interim, the acting head coach? Is it is it John Heacock? Yeah, that's probably who I'd go with. He's been a head coach before. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one of their associate heads, they've got all these different titles. You know, Lou Ianni used to be an uh, associate head coach. He's obviously at Northwestern now. 
they have one that's an assistant head coach. So there's a, there was an associate head coach and an assistant head coach that were both different. And their assistant head coach is Tyson Vite. But, you know, Haycock has, the, has the, been a head coach. He's you know veteran and he's a coordinator. They don't have an offensive coordinator that you could promote right now because their offensive coordinator <laughs> is Matt Campbell. So if, if you were going like promote your coordinator, promote the guy that's been a head coach, promote the guy that's a veteran coach, it would probably be John Haycock, I would guess. Well, they they have a new coordinator, don't they? Didn't they say uh, the guy that runs Mid American Energy is the new OC? Oh yeah, I guess they they joked something about that. <laughs> Matt Campbell said he's drawing up plays with him or not, but uh, that's another thing. I wonder if, if Will Campbell name an offensive coordinator at this point. I, I wonder yeah. if he will at all. But uh, he says he'll take the blame for anything good or bad that happens on that offense because right now he says that that should be pointed toward him. Good place to be, certainly for Matt Campbell and Iowa State going into the year. Alex, took a ton of your time here today. Really appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much, and we'll talk again next week. Yeah, thanks, Trent. Talk to you later. That's again Alex Halstead from 24-7 Sports, CycloneAlert.com. And if you're looking right now, thinking about getting involved for the football season, basketball season, you'll get the December signing day for football. You'll get the signing day for basketball coming up in November, as we talked about a pretty big one for Iowa State. All the information, Alex is turning out a ton of content. Go give it a try. Five months for the price of one. $9.95, it's all it's going to cost you. 24-7 sports, cycleandalert.com, and uh, help Alex along. Great guy, does great work at Cyclone Alert, and really appreciate him uh, joining us here today as I got a little more availability and uh, get a chance to watch practice coming up here in just a few minutes. With that, we're due for a break. We continue on on the other side with you until 6 o'clock. Jimmy B off again today. We uh, gave him a little break. You've heard him the last couple of days struggling with the voice. He's battled through. He's persevered as good as Jimmy B can I said, all right, take a three-day weekend, get that voice right, come back on Monday, we'll be good to go. We'll see how he's doing on Monday. We're coming back with more. Take it up until 6 o'clock. It's Jimmy B and TC. Wrapping up our number one here, Jimmy B and TC, and something I wanted to touch on with the local front and high school sports going forward, going to be some changes coming up in the CIML. Now, there are no new members, anything like that. But a change of the divisions, if you will. The CIML comprised of the metro schools, few 4A schools from outside of, of what we consider the central Iowa area. But uh, a change happening. The central conference is going to be now Dowling Catholic, Johnston, Urbandale, Ankeny, Ankeny Centennial. All right, you got that? Dowling, Johnston, Urbandale, Ankeny, Ankeny Centennial. On the other side, in the Iowa Conference, it'll be Southeast Polk, West Des Moines Valley, Waukee, along with Fort Dodge, Marshalltown, and Mason City. Ames also in the league. You got the Metro Conference, East Hoover, Lincoln, North, Roosevelt, and Tumwa. That'll be the Metro Conference. Changes for basketball, for baseball, for softball, all the different sports really outside of the district structure of football. That's where this plays in, but... Certainly thought that was interesting, a change there. The CIML Central Conference, Ankeny, Ankeny Centennial, Ames remain there. The new teams joining that division, Dowling Catholic, Johnston, and Urbandale, kind of the northern flavor to it. Then you get Southeast Polk, Valley, Waukee, along with some of the northern schools, Fort Dodge, Marshalltown, and Mason City. Reasoning, 
I'm not sure. I, I don't know what the reasoning is behind this. I don't know if it was something trying to level playing fields in, in some circumstance. It's different for every sport in terms of you know where the powers are for different schools and things like that. But a change, and uh, I'll have to get ready for that with basketball season when we get to that coming up in December. Before that, though, we have football. We'll have high school football here on 1700 KBGG. Looking forward to another great season, and we're four weeks away. We are four weeks away from the kickoff of our coverage coming up here on August 24th. No, we're three weeks away. I was wrong. We are three weeks away from high school football. Oh, my goodness. Faster and faster every year and should be a good one to kick off our coverage. The Battle of Ankeny. Ankeny High, Ankeny Centennial, our Central Iowa Game of the Week, each and every week here on 1700. 7 o'clock with the pregame show, 7.30, usually for the kickoff. We'll bring you the big games week in and week out. We got Dowling Valley on the schedule again. Big district matchups when we get later in the season. We'll bring you play-by-play of our Central Iowa Game of the Week here on 1700. And looking forward to getting that started once again. One hour in the books. We have one more to go with you until 6 o'clock tonight. It's Jimmy B and TC. No Brinson today. He's got the bad voice. I'm getting a bad voice. I hope I didn't catch anything from him. Gave him the three-day weekend. Got the old man to rest. He needs it from time to time. He'll be back, maybe, on Monday, health permitting. He's all good. He says he feels great, just the voice was a little bit groggy. That was the excuse That's what he says. Hopefully I'm not catching the same thing. What I am catching is a break here. Coming back with the 5 o'clock hour next on 1700.